So last week we uh, started this series talking about you've heard it said, and this week we're going to talk about anger, because, you know, we don't have enough of that running around these days. Um, so we're going to talk about anger a little bit uh, and our experience with that. When uh, Cindy and I were expecting our, our daughter, our first child, we took a class which was called Systematic Training in Effective Parenting. It's somewhat similar to the Love and Logic class that we still do here. I think that's kind of an update of that older program. And one of the things that they taught us in this was that when something happened and you were angry about it, that was not the time to discipline your child. That you should wait until you calm down to do that. Because when you act in anger, your child doesn't understand the discipline. They just understand that you're mad at them. And I thought about that because, uh, uh, you know, I, I have a little bit of a temper, to put it mildly. And so, uh, so we talked about that a little. And I could remember back many years before uh, uh, when I was still uh, involved in a little bit of street racing at the time. I can remember one night my mother was upset that I was going out with some friends to engage in that. And she made the comment to me. She said, you know, if you go out there and you get yourself killed, don't call me for help. <laughs> and I went, okay, I won't. Yeah, I mean, but that's the kind of thing we say, and those are the kinds of things we do when we allow our anger to rule us. Let's pray. Oh Lord, we ask you to be present with us this morning. Let your peace rest on us. Uh, open our minds and our hearts to what you would say to us this morning. Uh, may the words of my mouth, the meditation of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, for you are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. I want to say we're using some new software this morning, and uh, the guys on the team, I think, have got that figured out pretty good. I'm still struggling a little bit with it down here, uh, but uh, just please pardon me if I uh, am off a little bit on some of the slide changes, and I want to say a thank you to Matthew who uh, put together my slides this morning uh, for me. So uh, as we come into this, uh, one of the things to recognize is that, that anger, I mean, the scripture talks about anger, uh, but there's kind of two ways in which it deals with anger. Uh, one of them is to talk about, you know, the anger that, that God expresses at times. And you hear that in passages like this passage out of Kings, Second Kings or First Kings. Uh, the Lord became angry with Solomon because his heart had turned away from the Lord, the God of Israel, who had appeared to him twice. Although he had forbidden Solomon to follow other gods, Solomon did not keep the Lord's command. And so you hear that, that uh, anger piece in there, and that's reflected kind of in a way when you get in the New Testament and we read uh, the story out of John's Gospel when Jesus comes to the temple. Um, when it was almost time for the Jewish Passover, Jesus went up to Jerusalem. In the temple courts, he found people selling cattle, sheep, and doves, and others sitting at tables exchanging money. So he made a whip out of cords and drove all from the temple courts, both sheep and cattle. He scattered the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. To those who sold doves, he said, get these out of here. Stop turning my father's house into a market. So John doesn't tell us particularly there that Jesus was angry, but you kind of hear it in the tone of his voice and how he addressed them. And I want to spend a little bit of time talking about um, the way in which anger is sometimes used in Scripture. Uh, it, it is definitely used. I mean, if you actually go and do some word count things, you'll find the word wrath appears 181 times, anger 268 times, angry 113 times. But it's used in some different kinds of ways, uh, especially in the Old Testament. Uh, you have to understand that in this period of time, uh, the language of covenant, 
uh, between God and his people is built off of the language of what was called the suzerain vassal treaties, which was a greater power and a lesser power. And in those treaties, language that we think of as emotional language carries some different connotations. So to love, for the vassal to love the suzerain, for the lesser to love the greater, was to obey the rules or the, the laws of the greater power. And you, you hear that reflected some when Jesus says, you know, if you'll love me, you'll obey my commandments. Uh, but, but there's a, a more of a, a discipline kind of connotation when you read these Old Testament passages. In the same way, to hate in those passages is to disobey. And to express wrath uh, really is to place a sanction. It's, it's similar to if we had a treaty with someone today and they violated that treaty, we might impose sanctions upon them. Well, in, in those periods of times, the language was that was the wrath of, of the suzerain, of the greater power being expressed toward the lesser. And so there's an emotional baggage that we put with those words that doesn't always belong there in the same way. Uh, I'm sure there's some emotional baggage that is there, but it's not in the sense in which we often understand that. And all through Scripture, you find places where there is something that we will sometimes talk about as a righteous anger. Uh, where, where somebody has done something or behaved in ways that violate the covenant with God, and, and there's a righteous anger there uh, that's related to that. And, and some of you have, uh, especially this past spring, if you, if you watch that video of George Floyd, I, I hope and pray that you felt a righteous anger uh, in that moment. But what Scripture also addresses is the other kinds of anger that we indulge in, which is more of an emotional response uh, that comes from us because we feel threatened or because we feel wronged, and, and we delve into this kind of emotional response and give free reign to it. And those are the places where uh, that can become uh, damaging. You, you see kind of a, a little hint of this difference when you read Old Testament, you read that, that God, is, God is not characterized as somebody who flies off the handle, so as we say. Uh, God is characterized as being patient and loving with us. Um, back in Exodus, God speaks to Moses and proclaims, the Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. And you hear that kind of language repeated several times. Uh, you, Lord, are a compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love. The Lord is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, and rich in love. So you, you, you see this kind of going throughout the Old Testament where even though that language about anger gets used, it, it, it's not used in the sense of being uh, overly emotional or out of control. Uh, but we're reminded that God is compassionate, that God is slow to anger, that God abounds in steadfast love. And so when we read those passages, we kind of have to filter a little bit is this talking about, I mean, is this really talking about an emotional response or is this talking more about a matter of discipline and obedience uh, and being faithful to the covenant that we are in? So this morning, I'm going to talk a little bit more about anger as an emotional response because I think most of us understand that there is an appropriate place for anger. The problem is that if it's righteous type of anger, the problem is that what we engage in most of the time is more the emotional kind of an outburst. Uh, in, in the dictionary, anger is talked about as a strong feeling of displeasure and usually of antagonism. I think that's a great understatement, a strong feeling of displeasure. I think it usually is more than that. But, but what it is is this emotional response that is similar to the response we have when we are afraid. 
and it provokes uh, fear provokes a fight or flight response. Anger usually just provokes a fight response. And so if you go back to the slides I used earlier in the summer to talk about our fear response, I'm going to remind you that you know the thalamus is the, the part of our brain that decides where to send incoming sensory data, what's going on around us, and where that goes. And it's then sorted, and the sensory cortex interprets that data, makes sense out of it, tells us what it means. That gets sent to the hippocampus, which stores and retrieves conscious memories. It, it has this sets of stimuli that establish the context so we know what that data means. And then that goes to the amygdala, if I can say that carefully, uh, which decodes those. I mean, it decides what the emotion is. It determines what threat there is or what to do with it. It also stores memory that it connects things to so that we have a way of, of knowing what this means to us. And then that goes finally to the hypothalamus, which activates the fight or flight response. In most of the case with anger, it's a fight response. Now, what I want you to notice in those slides, it's not so much the details of all that, but I want you to notice the part of the brain that's not being used, which is the frontal cortex, the part where we think and reason. It's not engaged in that process. You know, when we become really angry and we indulge our anger, the thinking, reasoning part of our brain shuts down. It's not operating, which is why anger can be such a destructive presence in our lives and cause us to do things that, that otherwise we would never do, we would never engage in. It, it's that kind of destructive piece that overrides our reasoning and our thought process. And sometimes, you know, later on you're going, ah, I wish I had not said that or I wish I had not done that because you've stepped out into that place. Uh, Horace says it this way, anger is a brief madness. Uh, it's being overwhelmed for a moment with that emotion that allows us or causes us to do things that we know better than, but we indulge that anger. So all through Scripture, you hear this kind of anger, this emotional kind of anger, being addressed as something that can be a negative, something that can be destructive in our lives. Uh, Proverbs, the wise fear the Lord and shun evil, but a fool who is hot-headed and yet feels secure... Uh, a quick-tempered person does foolish things, and the one who devises evil schemes is hated. Whoever is patient has great understanding, but one who is quick-tempered displays folly. Yes, indeed. We oftentimes find ourselves going, oh, why did I do that? A hot-tempered person stirs up conflict, but the one who is patient calms a quarrel. A person's wisdom yields patience, it's to one's glory to overlook an offense, not, not to dwell on the offense, not to engage it, not to allow it to become a source of anger, not to try to get even, but to overlook it. An angry person stirs up conflict and a hot-tempered person commits many sins. I love this one. For as churning cream produces butter and as twisting the nose produces blood, so stirring up anger produces strife. Strife. You know, when, uh, when I came into this, and, and we're really talking about this mainly in the context of what we're living through right now, uh, where, where a lot of us are dealing with issues around anger, 
Uh, we've been in this pandemic for a while, and uh, I'm looking at all of our folks here. You've all got your mask on. Uh, most of us are tired of wearing the mask. We're tired of being six feet apart. Some of you who are at home are tired of being separated from the people you love and isolated from the people you love, and, and it's all getting really old and tiresome to us. And then in the midst of that, we have uh, all the other kinds of things that have come along this year with the, the with racial tensions and then moving into this election and all that's going with that. And it's really easy for us to become angry. It's really easy for us to become angry. And when we do, when we do, it's really easy for us to respond in ways that are inappropriate. This is a, 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 an area that's, that's really close to my life uh, because uh, this is something my, my mother and I both uh, were possessed of quick tempers uh, in our family. Uh, you know, in some families, it's the mother that's the calm presence and the, and the dad that's the hothead. But in my family, it was the other way around. It was the mother that was the hothead and my father that was the calm presence. And so uh, we growing up knew this very well. And especially during the period of time when my grandmother lived with us for a number of years, uh, I think my mother was oftentimes caught because she was worried about how her children were behaving and how that would make her look as a mother in front of her own mother, uh, which just made it that much harder on her through that period of time. And I, being the quick-tempered hothead kid, did not make her life any easier during that period of time. Uh, and my mother would do this thing where, you know, normally a very outgoing, vivacious, friendly, uh, social kind of person uh, you would see this darkness come over her. You could literally see it on her face. And when that happened, my sister and I both knew it was time to run. Get out of the room because bad things are getting ready to happen. And, and we say that, say that with a certain amount of humor, but uh, on occasion, uh, it, bad things would happen and it would become a physical kind of bad thing. And so we would run. Um, and through that period of time, uh, that, that anger would become such an issue. Uh, when I finally got to the point in my life where I was large enough and strong enough, I can remember a conversation with my mother where I, I stood up to her and I said, if you hit me, I will hit you back. And I think in that moment, we both realized, we both realized that our anger was out of control. And as I went forward from that, I began to think, you know, this is, you know, how do I deal with this? Now, my father, on the other hand, was the world's calm person. You know, he just was almost impossible to get angry. I really think I only saw two or three times in my lifetime that I can remember him losing his temper. It was, you really had to work to get my dad mad. And on occasion, you know, I have to confess I probably did that. But, you know, you really had to work at it to get him mad. But I can remember watching him in front of a board meeting one night, which was very contentious, and people were saying things that were harsh. And uh, I'm sitting out there watching him do this board meeting and thinking, you know, I, I'm about ready to blow my cork. I'm about ready to lose it. And he is just calm, just, just working his way through it and dealing with it all very graciously. And, and I thought, you know, I need to learn how to do that. I mean, I need to learn how to do that from him. Which is not easy if you're born with kind of a nature that's, you know, quick-tempered. To stay calm is, is, is a challenge and something to work on. But, but that's what it means, I think, for us to be children of God. Is to learn that, you know, in the right circumstances, we're all like that. We all can lose that anger and, and become overwhelmed by it and behave in ways that are inappropriate. I mean, Paul reminds us of this. He's, he's trying to teach us 
Uh, I mean, Jesus talks in the, in the Matthew passage, uh, part of what we read last week, kind of, this is the preset uh, to what the passage I read last week in the Sermon on the Mount, where he's saying, you've heard that it was said to people long ago, you shall not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to a brother or sister, raka, which means worthless, is answerable to the court. And anyone who says, you fool, will be in danger of the fire of hell. Therefore, if you're offering your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother or sister has something against you, Leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to them. Then come and offer your gift. This challenge that if you are, are coming to be in the presence of God and you remember, wait a minute, I've, I've done something to hurt my brother or sister. Uh, I need to go make that right with them. I need to go make that right. Uh, and especially in, in the time that we're in, so often uh, it seems that the, the mood is more, you know, if I have something against you, boy, I'm, I'm, I'm justified in treating you poorly. And, and Paul, I mean, Matt, uh, Jesus reminds us in this passage, no, you know, this is your brother or sister in Christ. And, and if there's something there, you, you need to take care of that and be reconciled to them before you bring your gift to the altar. Paul's going to teach all through uh, his letters about the danger of this. In Ephesians, he's going to say, in your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry, and do not give the devil a foothold. One of the things when Cindy and I were married, and we took one of our early classes and how to, you know, be in a marriage together, this was one of the teachings. Uh, you, know, you know, if you're going to get angry, you know, deal with it appropriately and deal with it expeditiously. Because when we sit on that kind of anger and we hold on to that, it just tends to grow and become worse. And then something else happens and you add that. And before long, you have this big ball of anger and resentment that you cannot overcome. And so the teaching was, you know, when, when you have something, deal with it. Deal with it properly and deal with it expeditiously. Don't, don't give Satan a chance to divide your marriage up. As we move into the teaching, uh, he continues in Corinthians, uh, now you must also rid yourselves of all such things as this, uh, anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourself with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness. Bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. Remember, you are a forgiven person and extend that to someone else. In Galatians, uh, he has this contrast he draws. The acts of the flesh are obvious, sexual immorality, impurity and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions and envy, drunkenness, orgies and the like. I'm not sure why he felt like he had to add and the like there on that. That's a pretty extensive list. Um, I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruits of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, I mean, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. I mean, this urge to, to lean into the Spirit and live from the presence of the Spirit instead of giving into 
uh, our emotional kind of baggage. And James is going to remind us, my dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. The assumption in James there is that, that we are trying to lean into and grow into the righteousness that God desires of us. And therefore, you know, this is, this is our goal to live into, and that means we need to be really quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to anger. And too often what I find is, is we really do it the other way around. You know, we're really slow to listen, but we, we know what we want to say, and we know how we want to act in anger. And James says, no, it, the righteousness of God, you know, remember, remember, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love. This is, this is what we're called to be and who we're called to be. Garrison Keeler has a quote that I love. A man can't eat anger for breakfast and sleep with it at night and not suffer damage to his soul. You know, one of the things as, as pastors as we interface with people throughout their lives is, is sometimes we interact with someone who late in life, you know, you, you talk to them and you realize that they've held on to every offense, every hurt, every resentment that's ever happened to them. And while the people around them have kind of said, well, you know, that's just Bob or that's just Sally or whatever, they're suffering because the great pain they're inflicting is not on others. The great pain and the damage they're inflicting is on themselves. You can't eat anger for breakfast, sleep with it at night, and not suffer damage to your soul. So, so Paul reminds us, you know, this is, this is not who we're called to be. And, and, and when we struggle with it, because we do struggle with it, uh, he gives us this advice. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. Every thought to make it obedient to Christ. We're going to struggle sometimes with our anger. It, it's, it's just who we are. And, and at times it's going to be overwhelming. And, and we all need to learn the techniques that work for us to deal with that, whether it's going out and taking a walk, uh, whether uh, it, it's working on something, whatever it is that, that allows you to, to vent with, without venting on someone so that you can engage that person, not out of your anger, but out of the steadfast love of God. One of the, the great gifts uh, in our lives was that as time went on, uh, you know, my father died a long time ago. My sister passed away. It kind of left my mother and I uh, together for a period of time. And, uh, and, and we had a chance to, to kind of re-engage each other at a different level. And, and I was amazed. I was amazed to discover just how patient and understanding she had become. And I'm pretty sure she was amazed to discover the same thing about me. I'm not really sure who, who, who grew the most in that period of time, but I suspect it was me. Uh, but it was a real gift for us to come back together in, in, in a different time and in a different age and with a different level of wisdom uh, and, and to rediscover each other uh, and to be uh, able to love each other uh, in a way that was gracious and kind, in a way that reflected the, the steadfast love of God. And, and even though those last years were difficult as her health was declining, uh, I, I still think of those as a gift of God's grace that he gave us that time. He gave us that time to learn 
who each other really was and to engage each other in the kind of love that God wanted us to. That's what God calls us to, this, this life of abounding, steadfast love. Remember what we read last week, that very hard teaching. Maybe. Love your enemies, pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. This is the call, you know, to love them. Not, not to respond in anger, not to respond in resentment, but to, to love them. Because this is who God is, and this is how God has loved us. And as imitators of God, this is how we are called to love. So I want to pray a, a prayer blessing on you. Again, this is from uh, Paul's letter to the Ephesians. And I, I just invite you both at home and here in the room to hold your hands out with your palms cupped upward and receive this blessing from our brother Paul. I pray that out of his glorious riches... He may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled the measure of all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen.